all that we have, all that we are, is because of you. There is nothing, O oh Lord, we can give other than ourselves, our lives. You kept nothing back from us. You gave us your son. You gave us your spirit. And you called us your own. This morning, we just want to thank you above all for your mercy. For your word says, you show mercy to whom you choose. We cannot earn mercy. Our works count nothing before a holy and a righteous God. You declared that our righteousness is like filthy rags before thee. But you showed us mercy. Not because we were better than anyone else out there. It's only by your mercy. We stand here today. Just thank you, Father, for your Son. The gift of your Son. The gift of your salvation. We thank you, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for being with us this whole year. You brought us through. As a church, as families, as individuals, our children. You brought us through. We are going into a new year. Another week. We do not know what 2018 holds for each one of us. But we do not fear. Because you said do not fear. We do not worry. Because you said do not worry. For you will go before us. And you will never leave us. That's the promise of Christmas. For you said you shall call him Emmanuel. God with us. Even now with us. Who will be with us now and forever. It's Christmas that changed history, Lord. It's Christmas that changed our lives. Because you came to be with us. I thank you for the gift of salvation in every life here. And if there is anyone today who do not know you, I pray by the end of the day, they too will know Emmanuel. And if there is anyone here who has lost the joy of salvation, I pray today will be the day of restoration. As David cried, Lord, thousands of years ago, I pray that cry will rise from those hearts. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I come into the church into the hands. All the dear ones here. Those who are visiting us today. And all our dear ones, Lord. Half the church is at different places in their homes. Visiting family. I pray your presence would be with each one of them. I pray for all of our churches in India, around the world. I pray your presence they will experience. 
especially in the persecuted nations, in the underground churches, in the prisons, where your witnesses are. I pray they will experience your presence even more, O Lord. Emmanuel, God with us. Comfort them. Strengthen them. Be with them. Be their portion, Lord. Thank you, Father. As we look into thy word, I pray you give us open ears. Ears that hear your voice. Hearts that believe your word. The will to obey. Because you promised us in your word, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. For you came to give us life. Your life. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. The first text I want to use today is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace and of truth. The word, the gospel according to John begins with the statement, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and word was God. That God, which was word, became flesh, like one of us. It's unimaginable. I mean, in eternity only, whenever the senses lose their limitations, then only we will be able to understand what it is for the eternal to become the temporal. What it is, the word eternal, to become flesh. This is scripture, this is doxology, but... We still will never be able to comprehend what it means for God to become flesh and dwell among us. And then, in verse 16, scripture says, And of his fullness we all have received. Grace for grace. Blessing upon blessing. Blessing upon blessing. Grace after grace. The old hymn writer says, Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Like some of us would be able to say, yeah, I can't count. (laughs) In eternity you will see, you will never be able to finish counting. Actually, every moment of our life, we received grace for grace. So like I said in the previous Sundays, be a grateful people. So what are the graces we received? What are the blessings we received from him? Let's just look at a few. Because all eternity we'll be counting our blessings. Just let us look at a few this morning. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, scripture says, When the fullness of the time had come, God works everything in his timeline. We would like to hurry him. We would like to sometimes delay him. When exams are near, we want to delay him. Right? When uh, promotions are around the corner, we want to hurry him. But God does everything in his time. In the fullness of time had come. Scripture says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You see the, the, the privilege we have? His son was born under the law. We are born under grace. We do not know what it is to be born under the law. 
For what? To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Why did he send his son? Why did Jesus come? Like I said, almost, I have this um, different WhatsApp groups, the church and the other groups from college days onwards. Almost every message I got today outside of the church from nominal Christian friends or others and all, you see it's Santa Claus who's appearing in every... There's no Christ. There's no Christ. There's no Christ. Even in the nation I was 10 days ago, where Christianity is severely restricted, they allow Christmas, but there is no Christ allowed. There's no Christ allowed. No Christ allowed. Okay. Sometimes people don't even understand what is Christmas is all about. Why did he come? First, he uses a term called redeem. Those who were under the law. Redeem. People in the, his time understood what it is. It comes from a term where, from the actual slave market, where there were slaves up on the market like you have in the cattle market. You could set them free if you had money. You could set them free. If you felt pity on somebody, you could set them free. You could buy them and take them home and they continue as a slave. Or you could feel pity on somebody, buy them and tell them, you're free. Can go. What does the slave do? What does the slave do in a nation like, let's say, when this is being written, like Rome. Rome was like modern UAE. If you go to UAE, you will see like the you have around 10 to 15 to 20 percent of the ethnic population, the citizens, and the rest, maybe 70, 80 percent, are expatriates, immigrant workers. Rome was like that. The Roman citizens were few, and the slaves ran into millions. Just a nation of slaves. But people don't realize under the law, everyone was a slave. So if you redeem a slave and set him free, he probably would have nothing to do. He would sell himself again back to slavery. That's not what God did with us. He redeemed us from the slavery that comes from the law so that we might be adopted as sons. That's salvation. Salvation is not just redemption from the slavery of the law. Salvation is after that. God adopts us. The Father and the Son and the Spirit actually says, you have the freedom to go your way, but come home and stay with us. Robert Frost, in one of his poems, I cannot remember clearly, but something he, in his poems or one of his other writings, he says, home is a place where you will never be told you cannot stay. That's what the Father says. I set you free. Come home. Come home. Even to the prodigal son who comes home like a servant, the Father says, you can come home, but you cannot come home as a servant. You can come home only as a son. There are no slaves in the Father's house. They are all free. That's what scripture is talking about. Why did he come? Born of a woman. We sang The children sang beautifully. Why did he come? Born of a woman. Under the law. So that he could redeem all of us 
who were under that same law. Not only redeem us, set us free. A lot of people have been set free. But they have sold themselves back to slavery. Back to slavery. But he says, no. Come home. Be my son. Be my daughter. You are adopted. Share my family. Be part of my family. Share in my inheritance. Share in my inheritance. Actually, if you know the law of the land, almost every nation, adopted children have more rights than natural born children. You want to adopt a child, you have to go through an entire legal process. Legal process where the adopted child has absolute rights under the law. He says you are adopted as sons. In Galatians chapter 3, God says, for you are all sons. Okay, daughters are also sons. Okay, all daughters and sons, children, all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You believe he has paid the price for you. And you put your trust in that. He says, you are all children in Christ. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Then, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is no difference. They are all sons. You saw 12, 13 children singing today. Some were born in homes. Lovely, beautiful homes. Four were saved from the streets. Abandoned by their own parents. Some were like Jews. The others were like Gentiles. One home, one family, one voice. That's what God says. Two were found on the streets begging. begging, With holes and wounds we got them. Two were abandoned by their own mothers. Some in dumpsters. But they are all children. Sometimes you have to see these real pictures to know what God has done. There are no differences between Israel and the Gentiles anymore. It doesn't matter in Christ. There is neither slave nor free. Neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. All are heirs. You are redeemed. You are adopted. And you have an inheritance which nobody can take away. Inheritance reserved for all of God's children. That's why I said, only in eternity we will really, really understand what Christmas means, what Christ did for us. Therefore, I want to tell believers here, Christians here, and everyone here, our standing before God is never based on performance. Never. It's only based on our relationship. Only based on relationship. Only. Our standing before God is based on relationship. Everybody who is in Christ is a child. A child of God. We stand before God based on relationship. Nobody stands before God based on performance. Our works mean nothing. We are all children. But as children, the Father has put everybody in a race. So the works only matter when it comes in terms of crowns. But it never matters in terms of relationship. All are children. Beloved to the Father. All because of Jesus Christ. That's why Christmas changes everything for humanity. All the prophets saw this and pointed to this event, though they didn't 
fully understand from Genesis chapter 3 when the promise is given, the seed of the woman will crush his head down. Every prophet saw, though they didn't fully comprehend the mystery of God's salvation. In Luke chapter 1, Zachariah will say, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which we swore to his father Abraham, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. Now, people always confuse grace and mercy. They are not the same. Do you remember the definition you got two Sundays back? Grace is a blessing we did not deserve. Mercy is a punishment which we deserved. Because of mercy, we avoid a punishment which we deserved. Under the law of God, the wages of sin is death. Nobody will love. There's nobody, there's none, scripture says, who is righteous. All of us were condemned to death. But he had to perform mercy which he promised. Told you about the mother whose son was to be executed because of dereliction in duty during war. She came and cried to Emperor Napoleon, Sir, please have mercy on my son. And he said, He doesn't deserve mercy. And her mother's answer was, if he deserved mercy, my Lord, it wouldn't be mercy. And he said, I'm well pleased with your answer. You can take your son. None of us deserve mercy. If you deserved mercy, it wouldn't be mercy. That is why in that Beatitudes, God says, be merciful. Blessed are those who are merciful because they shall obtain mercy. Why? Because we have understood the heart of God. That our salvation was only because of the mercy of God. Nothing else. Therefore, those who understand how salvation comes becomes merciful people. Like I said, Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, all of them look forward to this day. All of them look forward to this day. See, we are all many, many parents sitting over here. We all have plans and hopes, dreams for our children. Sometimes those dreams have got nothing to do with the children. They are our dreams for children. The children have other dreams of their own. And often they do not come to pass. Like I said, once they grow up, they go their way. Often they impose their will on us. It's a battle of wills. If we are stronger, we impose their, our will on them. If they are stronger, they impose our, their will on us. Except Christ. He was the only child, destiny's child, who came to fulfill his destiny, which was decided for him even before the creation of the world. He came to fulfill his father's will. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, he said, we don't know when he said it, 
It's written only by the writer of Hebrews, sometime in time immemorial in eternity, before he came as a little baby, he said, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. The volume of the book. Everything. Father, your will is revealed in this. And I have come to do your will. Where he had no control, he said, Father, you choose. Where I have control, Father, I choose your will. The Father had written through the prophets, he'll be born of a virgin. The Father chose the virgin. He'll be born in the little town of Bethlehem. The Father chose the time and the place and the city. Everything, the will of the Father. He was destiny's child. That's why he's able to show mercy. He's able to show mercy because he has fulfilled by obeying the absolute will of the Father, the righteous demands of the law. Father is not blinking at our sins and showing us mercy, no. He's looking at his son who has kept the absolute will of the Father, the just demands of the law is met and he says, I show you mercy. I show you mercy. Because this is the Christmas declaration. I have come to do your will. I have come to do your will. We have received grace upon grace because of Jesus. In Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, another statement. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. This is an understatement. The heavens is his throne, the earth is his full stool. Footstool. The cattle of the thousand hills is his. The gold and the silver are his. Everything. Though he was rich. Yet for our sakes. I want to use the word our. Your sakes. He became poor. That through his poverty might become rich. You know we, we always say parents with single children. They have only one child. They get spoiled. They get pampered. And usually, often, if you don't are very careful with them, they grow up very selfish. Very selfish. Families with more children, automatically they learn to share, to hurt, to forgive. But when you have this single child syndrome, you will see most of them grow up very, very selfish. They don't want to share. That notion is broken by this single child. The only begotten son of God. He says, you know what dad, I want to share everything with everybody. Everything with everybody. Scripture says he became poor. He became poor. So that through his poverty, we might become rich. Like a prosperity gospel, preachers would like to put a spin on it. I don't want to put a spin on that. But read that scripture very carefully. He became poor. Scripture doesn't say he was made poor. See, we make very poor decisions in life and often are made poor by our choices. He was rich beyond imagination. But he became poor. He gave it up freely. 
he became poor he was not made poor we were all made poor the day adam sinned we were all made poor and then subsequently all sin became even more poor but he became poor and you look at bethlehem like i said it's not a scene like what you see today all glitter and glory and lights and all nothing like that a frightened young father an exhausted mother when they had no room for them in the inn seeing this full pregnant full term mother and put her in this stable you know i like mom is here she will tell you we've been in countries like where civilization came in only the past 20 30 years ago so we know what it is like childbirth in those places where there are no doctors no nurses no health medics so when the mother has a baby the father takes the delivery and i still remember as a child in the next quarter when that lady was having a baby i remember the the teacher coming in asking i think he came to borrow our lantern and uh, i remember in another conversation asking them how do you cut the umbilical cord they say we use a sharp bamboo okay and many 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 cases the child dies of infection mortality is very high here no clue scripture is very silent here is god's own son being born in a little dirty stable a father scared probably exhausted mother who took the delivery who took the delivery scripture is very clear not clear exhausted mother stable the breath and the stink of animals rags called swaddling clothes put in a feeding trough we now pick mom and baby all the specialty shops we go and we have to get all those fashionable swings and all son of god the only begotten son put in the feeding trough he became poor for our sake theologians will call it deity or deity wrapped in rags emmanuel god with us you know why he chose that way that path because it's open anyone can approach him we keep saying and we keep reading that 3% of the world owns 90 90 95% of the world's wealth so that would mean 97% of them are poor in spite of all the advertisements of the government the fact is 30% of india doesn't get 3 meals a day if he was born in a palace how do that 30% approach him just born in a middle class family how does the beggar on the road approach him? this place approachable for anybody nobody is going to stop you from going into a stable it's open throne room of open of god is open for any man any woman any child because of jesus from the poorest to the richest it's open only god could have done it this way i read that if you go to the holy land and you go to the place in bethlehem where he was supposedly that area where it is born and you have the church i don't know where this changed now like to enter into that place you need to stoop in and go why they made it was in the old days 
the rich people used to come and ride their horses straight to that place to see. So the priests who were in charge of that thought it was not a good idea. You need to humble these people. So they brought the door down. So everyone had to get off their horse. Okay, but here, anybody, anybody. Only God could have done it this way. Man would never, never imagine. That's why all the stories about gods in every culture differs from the real story of God entering mankind. Everywhere you see palaces and horses and kings and announcements. and Even today, when Kate Middleton is going to have a baby, you have the TV crew and the crowds waiting to know whether it's a boy or a girl. But when the ruler of the universe is born, there is no TV crew. It's not even Bethlehem newspapers reporter there. Nobody. Nobody. But he's the ruler. The real, genuine ruler. At his birth, he started an incredible transformation. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 52, scripture says, He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. The lowly has a voice. It's a voice that speaks from a stable. It's a voice that speaks from a manger. A voice that speaks from a feeding trough. The lowly has a voice. A voice that identifies with them. A voice that identifies with them. Later, the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul will write. You see, before God writes something, he practices it. Before he preaches something, he practices it. So later, this is how Apostle Paul will say, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. A carpenter, a peasant girl from Nazareth. Think. The base things of the world, the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Think about all, including Tabitha who is going to have a baby very soon, maybe next week. Which mother here, when you have your baby, is going to wrap it in rags and put it in that feeding trough which the donkeys and the cows drink from? going to. Uses foolish people. See, they are considered foolish simply because they surrender to the will of God. That is why the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. And the angel Gabriel came and asked this young little peasant girl, simple poor girl. She said, I don't understand the virgin birth and all. I don't understand the Holy Spirit coming upon me, but I know one thing I can do. Let it be unto me according to your word. A foolish girl. That's what the world will come. Do you know the consequences of your decision? Aren't you engaged? What guarantee is there? Your husband will stay with you. Foolish girl. But God chooses foolish people whom the world calls foolish because they surrender to the will of God. Scripture says she packed and she went to see Elizabeth. And she stayed with Elizabeth for three months. She comes back. 
That's the timeline. Scripture is not very clear. Timeline is very clear. She gets this visitation. She goes to Elizabeth. Comes back after three months. Three months later when she comes. She is three months pregnant. And I believe if you go by the order, that's when she told Joseph, Joseph, you know what? I'm pregnant. And it is of the Holy Spirit. What do you tell this man? Your wife went away for three, your betrothed, in case, fiancé went away for three months and she's come back from another town and she's pregnant and it is of the Holy Spirit. It's a just man. That's what scripture says. A just man. And he wanted to put away. A just man also hurts. But I want to put her away secretly. I don't want to create a hangama about it. Let her put her away secretly. And God speaks to him in a dream. In what? In a dream. Joseph, that child is of me. Take your wife. Name him Jesus. What will the world call him? Foolish man. You believe in dreams. All the husbands sitting over here, if your wife is pregnant and you have no idea about it, you see a dream. You're going to believe that dream? Foolish man. That's what your friends will say. Foolish man. But scripture says, God has chosen the foolish things of this world. Foolish. God uses foolish things, foolish people. He began with a simple peasant girl and a young carpenter in a little forgotten town. In English we have a saying, one horse town, that's Bethlehem. I don't even know where they had a horse there. From a hated race. The Jewish race was hated by every other race. Because somehow they knew this race was special. Until today, they hate them. Everywhere. One of the few places where the Jews were never persecuted was India. They always say, thank God for Hinduism. Because it was a very tolerant religion until recently. They harmed nobody primarily. Okay, so... We thank God for this nation too. And he begins in a stable in a manger. And for 2,000 years, the poor, the weak, the meek, the lowly, foolish things of this world have flocked to him and have received grace upon grace. Lowly. That's how he lives, the lowly. How he identifies with the weak and the lowly. That no one should be barred from the gates of salvation. In Isaiah 53 and verse 2, another thing. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You have to read this scripture carefully to understand the father heart of God. The loving father heart. We all want to be plant our seed, our plants in wet ground. That's where we know it will thrive. That's where it will thrive. Not he. He came out of a dry ground. We try to make life as comfortable as possible for our children. Today, companies offer everything. Even before a child is born, you can take an insurance for the child. Education, which is 20 years later. Everything. 
You want to see our ground for our children is as wet as possible. But not he. From the stable to the flight to Egypt to that little town, house in Nazareth, the carpenter shop, 30 years working like any daily work, wage, laborer. That's the funniest part of it. You see, where I stay in the office from morning till evening, there's construction going on day and night. So much construction going on. So there is daily this train of laborers going past. Carpenters, plumbers, electricians, trucks coming, bringing bricks and this thing. on. You don't give them a second look. You don't give them a? If you were in Nazareth, you wouldn't have given him a second look. Just like any one of them. Just like any one of them. Like in a young plan, unknown, unnoticed. He grew. Years later, his critics would dismiss him. Very dismissively, they will say, when he started preaching in Matthew 13, is this not the carpenter's son? Is he not his mother called Mary? And his brothers? What's a big so great about him. Let's preach. See, we long to be approved. We long in the flesh to look good. The outward form is so important. Yet scripture calls him the fairest of 10,000. The lily of the valley. Closed in splendor. Angels cry holy, holy, holy before him. The elders put their crown at his feet. Yet it is written about him. He has no form or comeliness. Means beauty. When we see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. No beauty. I was asking myself this question. If Jesus was on WhatsApp, what would be his profile picture? Because I look at WhatsApp and I look at profile pictures of people. I mean, I have many, which you wouldn't know, pastors, old. They also put sunglasses and take a profile picture. I look at those profile pictures and said, boy, everybody wants form and comeliness. Except the one who is actually has form. Beauty. But he, when he came, there was no beauty that we should desire him. He came like that. So that even the most deformed leper could approach him without fear. That's why you read and read the narrative through the Bibles. As soon as he comes down, the leper comes and says, Lord, are you willing? He said, I am willing. I am willing. Learn from scripture who our Lord was, who our master was. Because the purpose of everything is salvation. The purpose of God coming as man is to save man. Now when that same God comes in us, We see we do not have anything that blocks people from approaching us because we carry 
the same message and the same salvation. Grace upon grace, even the poorest, the weakest, received from him. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, scripture says, She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For the son. Wow. Prophesied early. 600 years early. 700 years early. It was already prophesied. She will bear a child. You need to go for scanning and be very sure whether it is a boy or a girl before you proclaim it. No, she will bear a People don't believe this, but it is true. Four years before my son was born, he had actually told me it will be a boy and you shall call him Andrew. Four years before he was born. The next one will be a boy and you shall name him Andrew. The same God. You can believe. If you're carrying, you can believe. Ask God. No, if Rebecca could find out it was two boys and found out their destiny before she delivered, and 600 years before he's born, it's very clearly the Savior will be born as a son and not as a daughter. It is the same God, right? Mothers, pregnant mothers, expecting mothers, believe. Believe. It's the God who speaks. Because you need to hear these things because later when things don't happen according to your eyes, you still have a promise to stand on saying, Lord, you said, therefore I believe this one will still serve you. I know because you spoke to me even before he was born. Even before he was born, prophesied it's a son. This is his name. This is his purpose. Defined. And all are God's children. Got a purpose. Got a purpose. Why I'm saying this is because in the world there is total gender confusion. Amazon gives you 52 options by which you can write your gender. With God, no. Male or female. And destiny is very clear. Because there's so much confusion in the world. You need to be absolutely sure who you are and what your purpose is because you have a God with whom there is no shadow of turning. Absolutely clear. You need purpose. And his son's purpose is defined right from the beginning. And what is his purpose? He will save his people from their sins. Save his people from their sins. We will be saved both from the penalty and the power of sin. You see, we have doctors here in our midst. Two, three, four doctors are here in our midst. When we go to a doctor, we go to a doctor because we are very aware of the symptoms. We have fever, we have body ache, whatever, and we go to the doctor. But usually we are very rarely aware of what the disease is. We just honestly want to get rid of the symptom. We are not very much bothered about the disease. But the doctor usually is not very much bothered about the symptom. He is very concerned about the disease. So he will give you a list of antibiotics and say, take this paracetamol for pain. And we love paracetamol. And then, after two days, taking the antibiotics, when the symptoms go, we stop. And one week later, we are back at his office. And he says, did you finish the course? No. Why? Because my fever left. The disease was never treated. He came to deliver us from the disease. 
we are still running after him, asking us, Lord, deal with the symptoms. He says, I can treat you symptomatically, but you will be always ill. You will be always ill. Everything that we are going through is a result of this one thing. Sin. The day you eat, you will die. Everything came as a result. God says, I'm going to the root cause and I'm going to deal with that first. You want poverty elevations, you want housing, you want 24 hour power, you want pollution, environmental, he says, not now. Not now. All that is irrelevant with a sinful people. They will only go even more into sin. Instead, first deal with the issue inside. Another day I will come and you will see what the world outside without sin is going to be like. First right now, let me deal with the sin inside. We want God to deal with the sin outside and leave me alone. God says, no, I will never save a man in his sin. I will save a man from his sin. We want to be saved in our sin. God says, no, I don't do that. Humanity is plagued by sin. Everything else is a result of that. God in Christ came to deal with that in his first coming. We live, like we know, on earth in a disease-filled environment. Therefore, we fall ill again and again. We cannot isolate or insulate ourselves completely because there is in this body and in the world disease. In the same way, there is in this flesh and in the world there is disease. But because of that baby that was born on Christmas Day or another day, probably in October, not on December 25th, but he was born on a day, there is hope. You see, the lie the devil sold in the garden, which not only Adam, many of us swallowed along with him. He said, if you eat, you will be like God. He sold a package In old westerns, they used to call them snake oil salesmen. Salesmen used to go to this remote western town selling this snake oil, saying that you take that as a remedy for every sickness. After selling it, he disappears. The first snake oil snake salesman was the devil. He said, you can become like God. You can become like God. What we see on Christmas Day is God becoming man. It's a total reverse. God turns the tables on the devil. The devil tries to sell a lie by saying, you know what? You can become like God. God turns it around and says, you know what? Yeah, they can, but not your way. I will become man so that they can become like me. God knew it and his law cannot be broken. The wages of sin is death. Wages of sin is death, period. In First Corinthians chapter 15, most beautiful definition. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. 
See, you see these guys in India, especially. You will see these guys will sit in the in the roadside. He will open his basket and he will take this cobra and and we all look and it says, "Boy, this man is not afraid," and we give him money. The thing is that the snake, even if he bites, nothing will happen because it has been defanged. When we were small, when we used to sleep on the floor on the mat, the scorpions used to come, and sometimes they used to crawl under the pillow. We were not scared. Normally, we were not scared because we grew among snakes and scorpions. Okay, so now when I become a pastor, I trample upon them. Okay, so snakes. I have picked snakes like this and thrown them away. They don't scare us. Okay, what we used to do, we used to take a noose and catch him by the tail because you know that's where he bites. Okay, that's where he bites. God knows what we don't know. Every fear man has is ultimately rooted in death. In death. Every fear is rooted in death. What is the end of any fear? Death. I go to these rural places and I ask them in Hindi and Nepali, if your child doesn't study, what will happen? How will she get a job? If she doesn't get a job, what will happen? Who will marry her? If she doesn't marry her, what will happen? Uh, she will not be able to earn much. And what will happen? Ultimately, she will go hungry and she will die. Whatever fear you have, at the end of it is death. What does God do? He comes and deals with death. It's actually rooted in death. And death is empowered by sin. And sin is strengthened by the law. The problem is not here. Death. The problem is not here. Sin. The problem is here. The law cannot be broken. Law cannot be broken. We would say, Lord, why don't you change the law? He says, no, the law and I are the one. The law is perfect as I am perfect. The law is righteous as I am righteous. The law is holy as I am holy. We want God to subvert law because that's how a crooked mind thinks. But God says, this cannot change. Cannot change. So you see that little baby in the manger in Bethlehem? He came to deal with it. That is why scripture says he was born of a woman under the law. Not outside the law. He was born of a woman under the law. Let's look at how the writer of Hebrews puts it beautifully about Jesus. Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, be he himself like shared in the same. He also came in flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Who had the power of death? Devil. He had the power of death. And how did he hold it? And release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. How are we subject to bondage of the devil? Why do we serve the devil? Because of the fear of death. Any form of death. We are all slaves because of fear of death. By the fear of death, the devil holds most of humanity captive. You know what scripture says in 1 John 3, 8? For this purpose Jesus came. For this purpose 
the son of god was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil for this purpose he came destroy the works of the devil because much of our actions and reactions are rooted in fear fear of loss of face loss of reputation loss 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 fear those who have been here the weeks before, we can see even the most godly man, the man who had an incredible relationship with God, called David, unbelievable relationship with God, which new covenant believers long to have this man. How because of fear, he can go to the depths of sin. He commits adultery and from there it is fear will I be found out when he knows the woman is pregnant. He calls her husband back. Under false pretenses from the battlefield, tries to get him drunk, tries to get him to sleep with his wife, to pass his pregnancy on. He doesn't do any of those things. Even when he's drunk, he's still sober. He doesn't go home. His reply is so righteous to the point David finally realizes there is no way I can get this fellow to do it. So he writes his own death certificate, Urias, seals it and gives it, says, go give it to your general. In it is written, the bearer of this letter, when you get him, put him in the thickest place of the battle and he dies. All why? Because of fear. That's how enemy makes slaves of people. Because of fear. Fear of future. Fear of provision. Fear, 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 fear. That's why the devil said, Jesus said about the devil, the devil comes to steal, to kill to destroy. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's why the first announcement of the birth of Jesus is accompanied by these words. The angels tell them to them, do not be afraid. I know mankind is crippled by fear. But you don't have to fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, all of you working in companies, tomorrow you go back to work and you get a note on your system saying the manager wants to meet you. It is not first, oh, I'm going to get a promotion. Your first is fear. What is he calling me for? Everybody is afraid. But God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why should man fear no more? Don't be afraid. Why? He says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in a swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You will go see them. It's a sign for you. When you see that little baby wrapped up in swaddling clothes in a manger, remember it's a sign for you. It's a sign for you. It's a sign to us. Did we see the sign? The little baby wrapped up is a sign because he's the little one who will grow up one day and crush the head of Satan. He will destroy the works of the devil. How will he do it? But how can he do it? The mystery God hid from everybody, even the closest of his disciples, 
He closed their eyes to that mystery. The angels in heaven did not know that mystery. The demonic host did not that ministry. Mystery that was a mystery hidden between the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. A mystery. How would you do this? Because there is death, there is sin, there is law. How do we reconcile this and yet save man? Colossians says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That was a mystery. He met the perfect requirement of the law. Met God said, this is what my law says. If you eat, you will die. If you break one dot of my law, you will die. He says, I will not. I'll keep it. The entire law, I will keep it. I will not break it. I will keep it. Father looked at one man and said, you know what? You have met the perfect requirement of my law. Then he turns around and says, now I will become the atonement for all those who can't keep it. And when he did it, the law was taken out of the way. Sin is dealt with. Death is dealt with. Remember the power of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin. And on the cross, death was overcome by death. Death was swallowed by in victory. That is the sign in the manger. It looks so ridiculous. Lord, is this your plan? To save humanity. Is this your plan? If we had eyes and we saw those 11 disciples all covered in fear in the upper room and says, Lord, this is your plan. God says, yeah. You don't understand my ways. We looked in the manger, the little boy. Is this your plan? God says, yeah. We need think we need all these props. God says, no. I need people and men and women who believe. But God is able to do. That's all. That out of this little seed will come a mighty oak. Out of this little baby will come the savior of the world. And he grew up on dry ground. He had no comeliness, no beauty, nothing. But he was God's chosen vessel. Therefore God demands in Isaiah 45 and verse 22, look to me and be saved. It's interesting, right? Even in the Old Testament, we understand it only when we read the New Covenant and the work of Jesus. Scripture doesn't say, Scripture doesn't say, keep this and be saved. If you are a devout Muslim, Scripture will say, their Scripture will say, keep the five pillars of Islam and be saved. Maybe. You're not very sure, maybe. And if you're not very sure, easy way out, it's blow yourself up. If you are a devout Buddhist, I grew up among them, you have this eightfold path given. Keep it, you may have a chance. Chance is that if you die, if you really keep this eight, your chances that if you really kept it, you could become in the next birth a lama. Different beliefs. Because everybody has to deal with death. You need to realize that man knows ultimately everyone dies. How do you answer this? Religions are inventions of man how to answer death. But there is only one who has come back from death and says, this is the answer, by the way. Nobody has come out back from death other than him. 
So every religion will say, do this and be saved. God says, look to me and be saved. Look to me and be saved. Now do this. Look to me. Our salvation comes from that baby in the manger. Our salvation comes from that man who is hanging on the cross. Our salvation comes from the one who is sitting on the right hand side of the father. Not by doing, but by believing in what he has done. It's a huge dampener for righteous people. That's for sinners. That's why sinners flocked around Jesus while the righteous stood away. You mean our works mean nothing? God says, yeah, you're right. It means nothing. All my social works mean nothing. God says, you're right. It means nothing. It may mean something on here. It will not add anything to grace. Nothing. It bursts our ego. That's why the, this differences in religion. Oh yeah, I have come. He looked at the Pharisees and said, I have come to save the sinners and not the righteous. Righteous don't need a savior, right? So that's why the gospel first addresses sin. It's bad news first before it is good news. You are a sinner. Because only sinners need a savior. But when man thinks, it is not that way how man thinks. Yuga to yuga in Gita Krishna says, I am born to destroy the sinners and save the righteous. Or you have Islam, wherever it has to go. Are you a Muslim? No. Then either you are a kafir or you have to be destroyed for the righteous to survive. Jesus said it's the opposite. Righteous don't need me. Sinners come welcome. So if you think you are a sinner today, you have hope. So God says, look unto me, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. And there is no other. Nobody else can save you. There's no other. No other. But remember, the call of God was not to Israel alone, even in the Old Testament. The prophecy of Jesus. And I said 52 verse 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Shall sprinkle many nations. Not the nation of Israel alone. You take a globe, take a globe if you have one, turn it around, close your eyes, put your hand, look at which country it is, salvation has reached there too. Many nations. Even before we know. One of the countries where I go is called Bhutan and the furthest I have gone in Bhutan is a place called Tongsa. Very difficult those days to reach. Now it's easier. Then I read and find 1935 or 29, Sadhu Sundar Singh walked on foot, went to Tongsa, sat in the monastery with the Lamas and gave them the gospel. And you think you are the first one. God says you are not. You are not. I have sprinkled many nations. This is the blood of the Lamb. The blood of God's own son. I sprinkled many nations. And all the kings will shut their mouths. God said there is no limits. I don't set limits, so you don't set limits. Geographical limits. For the increase of his government and peace, there is no end. I will sprinkle 
Many nations. But all by faith. The sprinkling in itself doesn't save anybody when you receive it by faith. It says, remember that's where faith comes in. I will tell you today again. You may have a Christmas tree in your home, all the gifts, the manger, the, all the props, everything. But if you don't believe, nothing happens. On the eighth day, in Bethlehem, we do not know who the rabbi was. I don't call him a rabbi. I call him personally the butcher of Bethlehem. Who circumcised Jesus. And the baby must have screamed like any baby. And his hand must have been splattered with the blood of God's own son. No effect. No effect. Absolutely no effect. Because there is no faith. Do you remember the, 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 the soldiers who whipped him? They must have whipped him, broken his back, and the blood is splattering all over over them. No effect. Yet that was the blood that was for nations to be saved. It has no effect if you and I don't believe. You and I don't believe. It is the blood that passes over. God had told in Israel, Today, have the blood. Stay inside. When the angel of death comes, he sees the blood, it will pass over. If you are out, you are dead. If you are in, you are safe. Rahab had hidden the two spies. And she said, I believe in your God. When you come in the city, remember me. They said, yes, we will remember. One thing, hang a crimson ribbon from your window. That day when we come in, see that all your household is inside. If they are in, they are safe. If they are out, the blood is not on us. People always talk about the miracle of the eighth day when Israel walked around Jericho and the walls came down. All the walls came down. Not all. There was one portion that stood Entire massive walls of Jericho is falling. One wall alone is not falling because under that wall there is a house and it is held together not by cement or concrete. It is held together by a crimson ribbon. The blood of the Lamb. When the day of judgment comes, every life, every home that will be held together is not by any work of man, only where the blood of God's Son is there. It will be held there. That's the power. Of that baby that was born that day. That's why he said, I will sprinkle on all nations. We receive it Thanksgiving every day. Thanksgiving. And it is by that same blood we defeat that one who kept us under bondage, under slavery of fear. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, we defeat the devil. That's what Revelation 12.11 will say. They overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb. He came to deal with fear. Came to deal with sin. Came to deal with death. We may still feel fear cockroaches. That's okay. We'll see incredibly brave women like my wife. Incredibly strong, brave woman will jump six feet at the sight of a cockroach. Because that's allowed. You're not talking about that fear. Oh, even my pastor Vijay. Oh, I forgot to say right before me. Oh. He runs. All you have to do is bring a lizard near him. He will run. That's okay. We're not talking about that fear. 
But we have other fears which has been dealt with. The fear of future. Don't worry. Don't worry, Jesus said. Don't worry about tomorrow. If he did not spare his only son, how will he not give us all things? Fear. Tomorrow, fear of death. The absence of these two fears, these two fears of death and tomorrow, future and tomorrow, really brings in peace. Not only there is no fear, your future is assured. Deal with that. First words of the resurrected Jesus to his disciples is this. Then the same day at evening, being in the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciples assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said it to them, Peace. Are you afraid of? Peace. Peace. A lot of people need to hear that again from his own mouth. Peace. Because we are in pieces. Yes, he came to heal the broken heart. He came to those who are broken. He puts them together and says, Be whole. Have peace. To peace, the actual shalom, peace, is means to be made whole. To be made whole. A lot of people don't have peace in their hearts, in their homes, in their offices. But Jesus said, I have come to make you whole. Make you whole. Peace. We bring you glad tidings. Good tidings. Next thing he says. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were glad. Peace. Be happy. What are you worried about? At the most, what can the devil do? Kill you. And then? Nothing. It was the first Christmas message actually. First Christmas message and the last Christmas message are the same. Peace, fear not, be glad. And Luke chapter 2 verse 10, angel said, do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Good tidings of great joy. Why? Suddenly there was the angel with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace and goodwill towards men. Be happy. Our children sang all those songs. They didn't understand a word. When they grow up one day, those words will become life for them. That's why we teach children, learn, learn by heart all that. Because there is a time when you come like me, you come to the Lord late, you can't by heart anything, memorize anything. Except the only thing I remember from my childhood is my multiplication tables and the nursery rhymes I learned in class one. So teach our children scripture now before they get into the world and start memorizing other stuff. So that one day his word which he said is life and spirit. One day when the spirit comes into them and they are born from above, they already have the word which will come alive. That's why we train our little ones in our school to know the word and learn the word and memorize the word and learn the hymns which are all based on the word. Glad tidings, peace, joy. So we are a joyous people. Are we? 
And why people sit so glumly in church? I read a story about this state called Montana in the U.S. Many, many, many hundreds of years back. All these gold diggers, you know, the West, they went digging for gold. Three guys were looking, searching, searching, digging, 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 back-breaking labor. They got no gold. Discouraged, depressed, they all got into their horses and took their mules and they were going back on the way. One day down the line, one of the fellows stopped and he saw a rock and he just playing with the rock. Then he looked at it. Veins of gold. He said, hey, they searched and found that place is full. They've hit the gold mine. But to dig through, you need a lot of equipment. So these three swore, we are going to go to the town we're going to get the stuff, but we swear to each other, nobody should know that we have found gold. They swore. They reached the town very quietly. They bought a few stuff and they were going back. 300 men followed them. Nobody had opened their mouth, but 300 followed them because they looked at their faces and knew they had found gold. Now let's come to the point. When the world sees our faces, they should know we have found Jesus. Tomorrow when you go back to your offices, don't be like that Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh. The long face. No. He's brought us glad tidings. A lot of people, even in ministry, I see people as if they're carrying the burden of the world on their shoulders. No. no. The message is a message of joy. We've been set free. We're set free. That's why my favorite passage in the book of Acts, my personal favorite, wherever I go, every town, every city, every village, every nation I go, I have to come back to that. I'm going to tell you, this is the proof of Jesus in you. Extreme situation also. The joy overflows because Christ has come. When her master saw that the hope of profit was gone, a deliverance has taken place, a demon-possessed girl is set free, they seize Paul and Silas and drag them into the marketplace. Drag them. We don't like being dragged. We want to walk very straight. They were dragged to the authority. They brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. False accusation. We will get upset over that. They teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them. You see incredible unity in mobs against the truth. And the magistrates tore off their clothes. So they are made naked too. To look at the order in which it is going. Because if little of this happens to us. Because today people are so conscious about them, so you have to walk on eggshells. That also carefully, you don't break it loudly, they will get offended. Because there's no kingdom inside. That's the reason. The name is there, no kingdom inside. The kingdom is a matter of power, not a matter of talk. And that power of the kingdom will be always tested. And the more you have the kingdom, the more God will allow you to test, to be tested, to show the world the kingdom is real. They are stripped Commanded to be beaten with rods 
And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. All that, legs are also locked up. And the next verse says, But at the midnight hour, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. You all pray. A prayer is more like a dirge at a funeral. They are not praying for themselves. They are praying and they are singing. They are praying and they are singing. If we were there, what would we do? As soon as we see the mob coming in, we will call our lawyer. Can you please come here? Isn't that what we do? Do you know what this man did? He didn't ask for the law. He didn't demand his rights. After everything was over and people were saved and he had a baptism service, everything is over. When the next day the magistrate said, let them free, he said, no, we are not going. Why? Because you broke the law. We are Roman citizens. They were scared. What? We hate a Roman citizen. It's against the law. He could have said that in the beginning. He said, no, God's got a purpose inside. The kingdom is not broken by a few blows. He could have said that in the beginning. Sometimes he said, sometimes he didn't. Because he was hearing from God, I need you in. Don't say anything. I need you in. Go in. Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. That's what Christmas does. That's what this little baby born in Bethlehem does. In the lives of people where he comes in. That's what he does. That's why I love this portion. So there is power of salvation. There is peace and there is joy. There is songs. There is songs. Sing. If you can't sing, whistle. Now when we come close to the message, don't let anybody make the mistake of this being a sentimental, wimpy savior. You look at that child And you look at that man on the cross, you may think, weakness. When I was young in college, and I was not a believer then, when we used to sit together, the the crowd before salvation, all all religions were there. We used to sit at the stadium behind the secretariat at Tivandrum, and we used to talk. Sometimes the topic of religion used to come. And when the topic of religion used to come, you see, when you have no salvation and no wisdom, you only have zealous, your zeal, which is based on not the foolishness which God talks about, human foolishness. Every time they will make this statement, look at your God hanging on the cross. He cannot save himself. That's the foolishness of man. They don't understand the ways of God. But beware of that child. Beware of that man who hung on the cross. He says something. Matthew 10 and verse 34. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. He said, when I come, it goes through every heart. You have to take your stand. You have to choose. The day he was born, the world was divided into two. And history was divided into two, before him and after him. 
And every man, woman has to make a stand. Are you with him? Are you against him? He stands in the crossroads of history, of humanity and says, you may look at the baby and say, so cute. You may look at that man hanging on the cross and say, poor fellow. But he says, that's not the truth. I stand there. I have kept my father's will. Now, you and I have to choose. No one can avoid him. Those who ignore him and those who oppose him. Those who oppose him, oppose him at their own peril. It is most vividly shown at his death and at his birth. Bethlehem is silent, but the shepherds are told. You wouldn't understand why shepherds are told. One of the first statements in the first book of the Bible concerning shepherds is shepherds are an abomination to the people of the world. So God says, let that message go to those the world called abomination. Let it go to them. Avoid the rest. Herod knows. The palace trembles. Jerusalem trembles. The priest knows. The Levites know. Nobody moves. The wise men alone move to Bethlehem. It's a division straight away. As soon as the wise men see Jesus and they pay homage, worship to him, worship him, they hear the voice of the Lord telling them, go another way. Go. That's how. Everybody who has genuinely met Christ and worshipped, hear from him, go another way. Don't go the way you came. Cannot go. He doesn't give you that option. You go another way. That's why he said, I am the way. And all the believers in the first century were not called Christians until in Antioch they were called followers of the way. Followers of the way. It was later in Antioch they were called Christians. It's all there in the Bible. The way. It was shown at his birth. It was shown at his death. At his death, he didn't die alone. Two others died with him. Two thieves died along with him. We often focus our attention on the one who cried, Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you shall be with me in paradise. But another man also died. And he died as he lived. Wretched. Unforgiven sinner. Even at the cross, humanity is divided. Both are sinners. One asked for mercy, the other refused. To one he said, come. The other he said, go. He forces no one. But he stands in the crossroad. Everyone has to take a decision. One thief was saved. So that no one should despair. I am a wretched sinner. Who can save me? One thief was lost. So no one should presume. No one should presume. Salvation is a right. It's not. It's a privilege. It's not a right. Even if you are born in a Christian family. It's not a right. 
you need to be born again. Because that little baby is the great divider of humanity. He will save those who trust him. And he can save to the uttermost, the book of Hebrews says. And he will condemn those who reject him. The same cross that saved one on that day also condemned the other. That was the prophetic message on his 41st day on earth for Jesus when Mary and Joseph took him to the temple. Simeon had a prophetic message to give to Joseph and Mary and for all of us. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined, destined for the fall and the rising of many. This one child is come. You see this baby? Mary, you don't understand, right? Joseph, you don't understand, right? But I see in my spirit. Holy Spirit is showing me this child will be the cause of the rise and the fall of many. Shall I have the worship team come in? Because of that baby is a sign. The baby is a sign. To many he will be the rock of ages, rock of salvation. To many he will be the rock of offense. It's not a simple baby that was born there. A simple baby that was born there. It is God himself in the flesh. And every day, it's not just the day you got saved. Every day you have to make a choice. For this man, Jesus Christ. Every day. God had said to Israel thousands of years, almost 3,500 years ago, I set before you life and death. Choose. And then he said, choose God. For God is your life. After the conquest of the promised land, in his old age, Joshua also tells the children of Israel, I said to you before, Choose this day whom you will serve. Gods of this people or the living God. A few hundred years later, Elijah will stand on Mount Carmel and tell the people of Israel, choose this day, Baal or Yahweh. There is no middle ground with this child. A lot of Christians are trying the middle ground. The problem with the middle ground, there is no assurance. There is no peace. There is no joy. There is only religion. There is only religion. What you learn from scripture, all the religious missed his first coming. All of them missed it. The poor, the lowly, the faithful, God opened their eyes. Like I said yesterday, go back. Reverse history. Go back to the 41st day of Jesus. Mother is carrying or father is carrying. They have walked. They have reached Jerusalem. They are in the temple. This massive structure which the disciples will say later took them 46 years to build. It's so huge. It is so big. With hundreds, thousands of people. All the activities, sacrifices, you name it, it's all going on according to the law. All for God. Who is coming to the midst. And nobody knows. The incense is being offered in the holy place. 
The bread is being changed. The the light is lit. The Levites are busy. Sacrifices are going on. Pigeons are being killed. Lambs are being killed. Rams are being bull. All kinds of stuff happening. Hundreds and hundreds. All for whom? For God. For atonement. For mercy. And he's come. Nobody knows. Except two. Except two. And about them both, you will see. Spirit of God told them, he's come. He's come. And goes. And goes. Takes the baby. Let your servant depart in peace. For mine eyes have seen your salvation. Depart in peace. And he's born. The message is peace. For everyone who receives him. 41 days later. I've seen my salvation. Let me depart in peace. On his death, can die in peace. You will be with me in paradise today. That's what he does. That's what this baby does. That's what Jesus does. Don't lose it. It's the rock of our salvation. Don't let him be a rock of offense. It's the rock of our salvation. Shall we stand as we sing this song, one of my favorite songs.
2000 years ago little town called bethlehem probably in a dark dingy stable was born god's own son yet scripture calls him the lamb of god that was slain before the foundation of the world was laid this was the plan of god's salvation god's son came in the flesh lived among us died on the cross and rose on the third day according to scriptures so that no man need to die in his sins he came to save us from our sins salvation that's what he gives the result of salvation is what we heard peace righteousness peace respective of circumstances peace and joy in the holy ghost that is the kingdom of god this morning don't let another christmas pass another day pass make peace with him scripture says while it is still called today do not harden your heart at his voice today make peace for those who do not know him call upon his name acknowledge that this is what we are wretched sinners who will save us and there is no other name in the heavenly is given but the name of jesus call upon that name those who know him and i walked away the prodigal son's father tells the elder son when his young son was away your brother was dead when he had gone away he was dead but when he came back he said he's alive maybe you are dead and you feel that deadness in your inner man you're playing religion as david must have played religion all those days when he was hiding his sin he must have gone to the temple as usual given his offerings as usual and everybody must have thought it was kosher with david except god and david knew the truth nathan came and told him you are that man david said i have sinned. maybe you are that man maybe you are that woman maybe you are that teenager god is saying you feel dead inside god says come back come back there's only one who can give life grave of lazarus he said i am the resurrection and the life there is no life outside jesus if you are outside jesus even if you are living you are dead if you are in jesus even if you die you love 
come to Jesus. Make peace with him. Let him give you the peace that passes understanding. Don't let this Christmas go by. Make peace with God. Make peace with one another. Let him lead you the rest of the way to the Father's throne, to the Father's heart. That's our destination. We are all on the way. That is our destination. But no man can come to the Father other than through me, he said. We need to go to the Father. We need to rest in Him one day. Start your journey today. Those who have strayed away, come back to that path today. Father, we come to you this morning. We want to thank you, Lord, for keeping us in that path, for correcting us when we strayed, for inflicting discipline when we went away. We thank you for your hand upon our lives. Today we cry out to you, Lord. Keep us close to you. Sacrifices yet living sacrifices. We have the habit of straying away from the altar, Lord. Keep us. Keep us close to you. This season, we want to once again surrender ourselves into thy hands. As individuals, and as families, and as a church. And I pray every parent here, father, mother, will surrender their children. Doesn't matter how rebellious they may look to your eyes, it doesn't matter. Hand him or her over to Christ. You can trust those hands. Because those are the only nail-pierced hands you will see in eternity. Pierced for us. Put your children today into his hands and say, Lord, I believe and I trust you. I believe. I trust you. I believe you. And I trust you with my life. I trust you with my children. I trust you with my household. I trust you with my friends. I trust you, Lord. Make me a vessel of grace. Make me a vessel of mercy. Fill me, Lord. Let the kingdom grow in me, O God. That I too can go out and give that glad tidings of joy. Oh Christ is born. He's dealt with sin once and for all. He's dealt with the law once and for all. He has overcome death in victory. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Commit our churches into the hands and all your servants around the world, starting with Pastor Vijay here and myself. Let your hand be there upon your servants of all, every place. Protect them. Strengthen them. Let them stand there every day before your people, unshaking, with grace, with truth. Speaking about the mercy of God and the severity of God. Both. Proclaiming the gospel till the very end, O oh Lord. Let them stand there strong. Let every person in this room be a vessel of your good news. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you for preserving us, keeping us, protecting us, providing for us.
As we go into the rest of the week and another year, we know the faithful God will go before us and He will keep us. For you said, I will go before you. You said, my sheep, hear my voice. Speak to us daily, Lord. Help us to hear your voice, obey your voice, and follow you that narrow way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now by faith once again, we lift up these holy hands, hands cleansed and purified by the blood of God's own Son. We lift up those holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.